Insurance professionals work hard every day to keep people safe. But as technology transforms the industry, how can insurers protect not only their clients, but also shield themselves from ever-changing cyber risks? My name is Elizabeth Blossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. Something that's meant to bring stress relief after the holidays could be a big contributor to added stress if the right cybersecurity protocols aren't in place. I'm talking about online shopping. Just because the holidays are over doesn't mean consumers aren't buying gifts, and with post-holiday sales and Valentine's Day coming up in a couple weeks, it seems like the conversation about cyber risk for e-commerce is an important one. Research from cybersecurity provider Kaspersky shows that holiday shoppers face a laundry list of cyber risks in 2022. And experts on this podcast say that's likely to continue this year. Banking Trojan attacks, a form of malware used to steal payment data, nearly doubled last year compared to the year before. In the meantime, phishing attacks, fake online stores, and other scams are still frequently targeting online shoppers. To learn about how these threats might affect specific groups of shoppers differently, Kaspersky surveyed 2,000 American adults between October 20th and 24th last year about their online shopping and security habits. 38% of all respondents said they've had credit or debit card details stolen and used fraudulently in the past, and almost 1 in 5 or 18% of respondents said inflationary pressures would make them more willing to shop on a site that strikes them as sketchy if the offer is good enough. You might recognize the name Kaspersky from a recent podcast episode at the beginning of the year on January 18th when we cited its research for an episode about cybersecurity risks for owners of household pets. If you missed it, you can check it out on Insurance Journal TV and Apple Podcasts. David M., senior security researcher at Kaspersky, spoke with me for that episode, and he's back this week to talk about how the pandemic accelerated online shopping, why resilience is key for online retailers in responding to cyber risk, and steps consumers can take to keep their data secure. I always love talking to David. I know we just heard from him, but it's not my fault he's involved in putting together such interesting research, you guys. (laughs) I think you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say, too. Check out our conversation. Hey, David, it's great to be speaking with you again this year. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Elizabeth. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. You know, this episode is all about some of the cyber risks with online shopping and e-commerce. And, you know, I think it was sort of a timely topic right after the holidays with post-holiday sales and, you know, Valentine's Day coming up. Um, And I came across some research from Kaspersky about this topic. So I was curious if you could just start off, you know, sort of talking about some of the cyber risks that you're seeing for online shoppers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the key thing to bear in mind is that Um, most attackers are looking to get money directly. So they will, for example, try to install malicious software or malware onto your computer so that they can um, kind of gather the credentials you use to go into online stores or into your bank and use those credentials to steal money from you. Um, Or they will do it through a variety of different scams, again, where they're trying to entice you into putting in your um, your, your personal information or putting in particularly uh, credit card or banking information that they can uh, defraud you, basically. That's essentially what they're trying to do. Yeah, that's helpful information for individuals when they're, you know, engaging in online shopping. And then what about for e-commerce retailers as well? You know, what are some of the cybersecurity considerations that they should be implementing? Well, yeah, it's important because 
clearly, you know, they they are there to do business, and by definition, they are going to attract people to their store. They're going to be holding customer information. They're going to be enabling people to engage in particular transactions when they make a purchase, and therefore they have a duty of care to make sure that they secure their customers' data and make that transaction, each transaction, as secure as it possibly could be. Um, and, you know, we, we hear all the time about attackers managing to break into company systems and steal information. So the onus is on them really to make sure that they are as resilient as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Resilience is definitely important when it comes to cybersecurity. And, you know, like I said, I came across this report from Kaspersky and I was interested in a couple of things. You know, the research showed that, you know, banking Trojan attacks nearly doubled in 2022 compared to the year before. So I was wondering if you could explain what Trojan attacks are and what do you think contributed to that trend? Sure, absolutely. Well, Trojans are one particular type of malware. So, you know, we have viruses. There aren't those many of these these days. We have worms, again, not too many. We have Trojans. And actually, Trojans are a, an umbrella category because there are all kinds of different sorts of Trojan. Um, a Trojan really is just something that carries out malicious activity below the radar. In other words, you as the victim don't see what's going on. Um, so they're, they're kind of like the, the sort of online equivalent of a pickpocket in a busy market area. Um, and, and so there are Trojans which are designed to install ransomware. There are Trojans designed to download additional malicious code. There are Trojans designed to um, capture banking information. There are Trojans designed to install backdoors on your system, which connect you to a network under the control of criminals. So it, it's a sort of very diverse sort of um, category, but specifically, we were talking, I think, recently about banking Trojans being uh, malicious code, which is designed to capture credentials. And specifically, if you go to type in a username or a password, they can capture that. If you click the mouse, they can actually take a picture, so to speak, of your screen and capture what you're clicking on. So it's really any aspect of, of a, a transaction you're engaged in, which involves in inputting personal information, they're looking to capture that. So what they really want is your information so that they can pretend to be you and take your money. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a helpful explanation for that specific type of cyber attack. And then, you know, one other type that was mentioned in the report was fake online stores. And I feel like this is something that I've been hearing about more and more. So I was curious if you've seen that trend increasing as more people are engaging in shopping online. I mean, the, the, the pandemic really gave a big impetus to online shopping because, of course, at various times uh, over the, the sort of two year when it was at its peak, people really didn't want to go out. Um, they wanted to minimize physical contact. And so it was ideal to be able to do shopping online, whether that's for groceries or whether it's for other kinds of purchases. Um, and so because there was a big push towards online transactions, this gave more scope to attackers because suddenly they had a bigger pool of potential victims that they could ensnare and you know we talked about banking trojans but another way in which they can try to defraud us is really to set up a fake store so that we think we're going to you know store xyz to buy some clothing but actually we're on a fake store and anything we type in there our name address um banking credentials and so on all of that 
can then be captured by these crooks um, and, and used. So they're, they're basically masquerading as legitimate stores, but, but they're actually taking our details to use later. Yeah, and this is a pretty scary trend to me because some of these fake online stores can seem pretty legitimate. So, you know, what can consumers look for when they're assessing whether an online store or an individual retailer is reputable or not? And, you know, what sort of questions should they be asking themselves before purchasing? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's it's some of them are very good lookalikes. Um, and I think it's it's not that easy, especially if you're under pressure, let's say to buy a, a, a present for somebody or um, you know, it's it, it's a too good to be true looking sort of offer. Um, so, I, I you know, or again, you know, with, with times as hard as they are at the moment for people, it, that also is an impetus to kind of find a good deal and, and go with it. And so it makes us less vigilant, I think. So I think, you know, one of the, the key things I would say is you can save yourself a lot of potential harm by going directly to a store yourself. So if you get an email with an offer in it or, you know, you, you see a link somewhere um, to, to a particular store, rather than clicking on links to go to the store, type the URL in yourself, type the address in yourself. Or if it's one you've got in bookmarks or favorites, that's fine, too. But by you typing it in, you know, you're going to what is you have listed as the legitimate store. If you click on a link. Who knows where it's going to take you? you? You certainly don't. So that's that's a great way of doing it because you know that way, you know you know you're going to Macy's or you're going to Amazon or or whatever the store is, um, and and so you you cut out the risk of you being lured to to some other address that looks the same and the destination looks the same, but actually it isn't. So that that would be probably my number one tip is always. You know, type the URL in for yourself or pick it from your favorites or bookmarks to minimize the risk. Um, and I think as a general thing, it's never a good idea to respond to unsolicited messages through email or it could be Twitter or, or anywhere else. Um, what what these these people who are fishing for information are trying to do is to catch catches on guard, because at the end of the day, nobody, when they're kind of thinking um, rationally, is, is likely to click on some of these links. But what they're trying to do is to, is to make sure that we're not thinking rationally. So, you know, it's, it's an offer that looks really good and it's time limited, um, or they're doing it at a particular point in the year when they know everybody's really busy. Um, and, you know, or they're, they're picking up on some topical um, issue, you know, and it could be a natural disaster, it could be a war, it could be, you know, something like Valentine's Day, something which is going to evoke an emotional response from us rather than a rational one. So the, the key, I think, is always to think twice. Um, you know, they always say, don't they, you know, when if you're doing DIY, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same with this, you know, think twice about something before you actually go to that site. Um, is it too good to be true? Is that the URL you've typed in yourself or one you just clicked on? Um, and can you find reference to that offer on the site you know is legitimate? So it, it's about using all of the sort of things which allow you to do a, uh, a sanity check on it before you actually go ahead and click. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. You know, a little bit of extra research on the back end can save a lot of headaches. So <laughs> that's important to keep in mind. Definitely. Um 
Yeah. And I know you mentioned the pandemic environment of the past few years has sort of led to an increase in online shopping and some of the cyber risks that go along with it. I was curious, do you think that um, the pandemic has sort of set a new precedent for how people like to shop or do you expect some of that online shopping to subside as some of the pandemic restrictions have eased? It's tricky, isn't it, to know what the final outcome of that will be. Um, I, I mean, certainly the pandemic gave a huge impetus to online shopping. There's no question of that. Um, it, you know, there were people who, even before that, did a lot of their shopping online, but there were people who perhaps had never done it, who were forced into doing it online. In the same way, for example, that, you know, um, you know, people who, who never had used, um, you know, online meetups to contact people or keep in touch with somebody, suddenly, you know, they, they've got no option. They're not allowed to meet with people physically, so they're reaching for all of these online tools which allow them to do the same thing so for sure that the pandemic and the lockdowns um, through the pandemic in particular have forced people to go online and I think people having become familiar with it um, you know now thinking well actually this is easy you know I can get my groceries delivered I can get clothing shoes I can get anything I want um, just at the click of a button um, whether that will completely persist I mean, my gut feeling would be that we will see a return to, um, you know, bricks and mortar shops as well. But I, I think there will always be that 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 mix now. So, you know, people are not going to fully go back to the way they did it before. Um, and I think certainly online shopping will continue to be one of the ways, at least in which people shop in future. Um, so I, I think net net, the, the number of people doing the online shopping post-pandemic is certainly going to stay bigger than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and you mentioned one other thing that I thought was interesting about the Kaspersky research. Um, you know, it found that almost one in five survey respondents said inflationary pressures would make them more willing to shop on a site that strikes them as sketchy if the offer is good enough. Um, you sort of already touched on this, but do you have anything else to add about how you're seeing inflationary pressure create challenges for online shoppers as well? Well, you know, I think that the whole cost of living crisis that people are feeling really it pushes people in directions they wouldn't ordinarily go in. You know, I mean, I've seen reports of bricks and mortar stores seeing an uptick in um, physical theft. Um, and, and what they're saying, you know, in the documentary I saw was that these are people who they're not necessarily looking to steal something in order to sell it on. They're, they're stealing stuff because they can't afford to buy it. Um, and certainly for sure, people are looking for deals where they can and that does people put people off their guard and you know I wouldn't say don't look for those deals it's just about doing that sanity check before you click and is is this really the right thing to do yeah again it sounds like it comes back to the research so that's helpful advice and um you know this has been a great conversation and sort of giving consumers a lot to think about when they're doing online shopping for online retailers is there anything that they can be doing to educate their consumers about cybersecurity you know as more of them are relying on technology well you know i think that it's um it, it's important that they are aware of the fact that they hold valuable information and therefore a hit on them you know, gets, gets somebody a lot of information all in one single go. So it's important that they keep their system secure. Um, and that really means, you know, establishing good practices in terms of securing their service, for example, with complex, hard to guess passwords. Um, it means also things like, you know, putting in place 
um, multi-factor authentication. So this is where, in addition to putting your username and your password in, you're required to put an additional one-time code in. One that they could, for example, send you via a text message, or there are specific apps to generate one-time passcodes. Um, banks use this a lot. They, they give you an additional device which generates that passcode you can use per transaction. So, you know, where that's available, um, consumers definitely should use it. And I, I think retailers should be encouraged to provide that capability to help people keep them secure. Because while a, a criminal might be able to get your username and password, they're not, it's not as easy for them if they need that additional code, which is only valid for the one transaction. So that's really important as well. I think also, you know, e-commerce sites need to make sure that they secure all of the, the computers within their network, um, you know, with a, a, a reputable solution, which is going to keep them secure. Um, and, and also, you know, to, to make sure that they, they themselves remain aware of what the threat landscape looks like. Um, and it, it may well be that this involves also, uh, you know, talking to companies that can provide uh, detailed threat intelligence, which explains to them, you know, what the potential risks are in their particular sector. So I think it's, it's, it's about being aware of the value of the information they hold about their customers, securing all of their uh, endpoints, making sure that they have good practices like passwords, and also providing mechanisms for consumers to keep themselves secure as well. Yeah, that's a really helpful framework for online retailers, you know, as they're thinking about an increase in online shopping over the past several years. And, you know, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot about, you know, online shopping. I think um, it's been helpful for a lot of others as well. So thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Elizabeth. It was fascinating to learn from David about some of the major cyber risks associated with online shopping. And now I'm speaking with our next guest about another online shopping risk that comes after the point of sale, package theft. James Moore is an entrepreneur and co-founder of a new insure tech, Porch Pals, that provides insurance for package theft. Alongside his co-founder, NFL cornerback Adoree Jackson, Porch Pals debuted its package protection service in California and has plans to expand nationally this year. Consumers can sign up to the Porch Pals platform and receive insurance against package theft through its Porch Care product. The insurance policies are backed by Lloyds of London's New Line Syndicate and cover up to three claims per year with a $2,000 coverage limit for packages sitting on members' porches. I know I've had packages mysteriously go missing from my front porch, so I think package theft is a problem a lot of consumers who engage in online shopping can relate to. And it looks like the research backs me up. 2022's fifth annual package theft report released by SafeWise in partnership with Vivint Smart Home found that three in four Americans have had a delivery stolen from their home. The report noted that around 260 million packages disappeared from porches across America throughout 2022, based on its latest survey of 1,000 Americans. This is 50 million more packages that were stolen compared to 2021's results. James joined the podcast to talk to me about why he thinks this trend is increasing. You guessed it, a reliance on technology during the pandemic might have had something to do with it, and how he's seeking to provide insurance against this challenging problem. Here's what he had to say. Hi, James. It's great to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you, Elizabeth? I'm doing well. 
Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think this is a pretty timely topic right now after the holidays as people are sort of, you know, online shopping and engaging in sales. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about your company, Porch Pals, in just a minute. But first, I was reading a little bit about your background. I know that you're an entrepreneur. So could you just talk a little bit about some of your backstory and how it led you to launch an insurance startup like this? Sure. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> That's great. Um, uh, but uh, I will say that I do have a, uh, a history of experience in, um, in financial markets, more so special assets. Um, so I've always sort of been assessing risk, you know, right, um, um, from a financial perspective. And then uh, I, I went from there to more risk mitigation, right, after financial crisis, um, and then started my um, true entrepreneurial journey in, in investing in startups, um, investing in uh, you'll see investing in the participating series A on, on a uh, LP basis. Um, and uh, we I discovered that you know some of the ideas that I had were great, some of them weren't so great, right? So I uh, but I had some winners, you know, some losers. So you know, if, you, if you're batting, you know, 50%, I think you're doing good, you know, uh, I'm here in the VC in the VC world. But uh, here when I started Porch Pals, uh, it led me, the idea came along through what I have a venture called KME Ventures. Um, myself and uh, Adore, my partner, um, run, that, uh, run that entity. And uh, out of that entity, we like to spin up ideas and we like to incubate those ideas and see if they will actually stick, right? And, uh, and so what we did with that company is that we literally had this idea, this Porch Pals, I had the idea earlier on, but I put it into KME so we can incubate it. And, uh, and essentially it was, um, it was an idea that, uh, you know, that we were, we were thinking about, you know, just that the problem of porch deliveries and theft. And so that's uh, how we got started. But in my background, again, you know, I, I have a, a history in uh, doing special assets and, uh, and consulting work. And then, um, Kind of led to entrepreneurial opportunities and investing opportunities, and uh, and always kind of been involved somewhere around something that has involved real estate and the home or or development. So it's been it's been pretty cool so far. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of great experience and you're someone who has a lot of creative ideas along with your co-founder, Adore. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. And I know that you said that you both launched Porch Pals. The announcement came just last month. And, you know, this is a company that provides insurance for package theft, like we were talking about. So I know that's been sort of a big problem, especially around the holidays when online shopping tends to increase. So could you talk a little bit more about um, how this company works? And, you know, are there other insurance products out there like this? Or are you the first on the market? Well, I'll start with the latter first. Um, we are the first um, to market with a product like this. Um, and what I mean by this, I mean that, you know, subscription-based uh, uh, insurance uh, protection plan coverage for items each reports, right, for theft. Um, we sort of like a catch-all. So, you know, while we do uh, require, only offer three claims per year, um, you know, it, it still covers everything that touches your porch. So um, there's, you, we're used to per package, you know, insurance products and, and for per package insurance products, you know, they're, you're always paying just that per package. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, you know, a hundred dollar item. You're paying, you know, somewhere around, you know, $5, low side 350, 
high side, you know, eight, nine bucks, right, to cover a package. Um, that normally covers in transit and, you know, in the time it touches your porch, right? Um, but for a product like ours, no, nothing exists to where you can have 100 deliveries a month and they essentially all have coverage, right, um, from theft. And um, there's nothing like it on the market today. So it was, it was while we announced it a, close to a month ago, it's been a three-year journey for us to try to get this policy and product underwritten. Well, that's great. Yeah. And I think this product definitely meets a need that everyone can relate to. I think most people have had an experience with packages being either lost or stolen. You know, I experienced that this holiday season. I was reading that your co-founder even had a personal experience with that as well. So, you know, in your research and what you've sort of observed launching this um, over that three-year journey, have you noticed that package thefts are increasing along with the growth in online shopping? Well, that's weird because, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that um, during COVID, it actually dipped a little bit. Just a little. Oh, bit. interesting. Um, yeah, because we were all at home, so. <laughs> so we were, <laughs> oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so we were uh, all waiting on our uh, packages to arrive. Right. It was like the excitement of the day. You know, we can't really go out, but things are still <laughs> coming in, and you know, we were looking to make those new new batch of cupcakes or need a new baking. You know, everybody wanted seasonings and food and pots and you know a new iPad and everything you could to keep entertained in the house. Right. So, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, uh, thank goodness for Amazon and, and the other services that continue to deliver. Right. Uh, and USPS, uh, but, but no, it dipped during COVID, but, uh, you know, I shouldn't say post COVID because I guess we're still in some parts of COVID. Right. Um, but, but back to getting back to normalcy, um, you know, the, the thefts have picked up and of course it also, um, the economy is also dictating a little bit more of that as well. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I never would have thought about that, but I guess you're right. When we were all home during COVID, we were kind of looking out the window. It was like the most exciting mm -hmm. part of the day sometimes. Yeah. 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 They <laughs> were walking down the sidewalk, but we were on opposite ends, you know, talking to <laughs> right. neighbors from across. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Our neighbors like, you know, 25, 50 feet away. And we're like having a full blown conversation, <laughs> but like, you know, you know, it is kind of crazy. I'm definitely um, back to some Yeah, so right. everyone was kind of not trying to touch anything and everything and everybody, right? But but uh, <laughs> it did it did um, it did subside actually during COVID. But since we've opened back up and people started traveling again, and you know, um, I mean, it's it's just taken off. Uh, you know, and and the, and the theft is becoming more rampant. I think partly driven uh, by our uh, some economic conditions. You know, here in, in the states, you know, inflation and things like that you know so it's just it's, it's, it's definitely higher in 2022 right yeah that makes sense and so it seems like a great time for porch pals to sort of make its announcement that it's launched um and so i was curious if you could kind of talk a little bit about how this product works you know take us through how consumers can sign up for it and you mentioned that it insures up to 100 packages is that right or is it unlimited it's un well okay so that's that's the thing about it where so i'll take tell you uh how it works um starting off so what we do is that um you would, we would just go onto our website uh, and you would choose, uh, you know, it's only one plan right now for Porsche Care. We're a platform, so we hope to roll other services out to our members, but I'll start with Porsche Care is the name of the product that you're referencing here that Porsche Palace uh, created. And that's simply the the, uh, the theft uh, product, right? Um, and Spaggy's theft product. And what that does is that um, you go through, you sign up. It's a, it's a, you know, quick name, address, you know, email 
and then you uh, you go to buying, and then we collect additional information from there. We collect, um, you know, just uh, making sure, verify address, you make sure you have any additional household members. So um, you can add up to four other members of the household. And what that means is that, you know, say someone in your household, a kid or, or spouse or, you know, mother, father, whoever lives in the home with you, um, they get a package delivered to the address. Um, their packages are also covered from theft. Right. And so they fall upon that that particular plan. Um, and and how our program works is that you you're covered unlimited from pack you order a limited amount of packages hit your porch. They all have coverage to minute they touch your porch. Um, but we do limit our members' claims to three claims per year in a two thousand dollar aggregate. And that's based on a lot of research um that that we that we did, you know, during the discovery process. I will say that, you know, uh, we do have two options of payment. It's $120 annually or it's $15 monthly. And we felt like that was a great value um, to the consumer um, because, again, you pay $120 a year uh, for the coverage. And then say you have a $200 pair of shoes, a $250 pair of shoes is stolen or $500 or $700, right? Um, we do reimburse you for that, uh, for that theft. So we felt like we were giving a lot of value for the for the dollar amount we're charging, um, and for the aggregate amount and and uh, uh, coverage that we provided here um, for the program. That's great. Well, that's a great overview of how the platform works, and you know some of the products that you're offering. And then you know obviously insurance is an important step. But um, what are some other steps that consumers can take to make sure that their packages are secure, or you know what safety measures do you recommend? <sighs> You know, that's a tough one for me because we've tried everything. We've tried lockers. Um, we've tried, you know, having the packages, you know, uh, placed, you know, somewhere inconspicuous. We've tried big boxes on our porch and hoping that the that the item being shipped can fit into those boxes, which right now I have a package on my porch right now and I'm looking at it through the camera and it's and it doesn't, it wouldn't fit in any box, right? It's mm -hmm. large and rectangle, right? And thin. So it wouldn't <laughs> fit in the box and put on your porch. So um, that's really tough uh, for me to really say ring cameras, nest cameras, they don't stop the theft. And in essence, I don't think we can really stop it. Um, I think our laws can get a little uh, stricter, but even then, the, the dollar amount, uh, you know, for, for a felony, um, to be considered a felony, you know, in some jurisdictions are, has to be over $500, some a thousand. Um, and the average package that's stolen you know, is around 200 to $250 in value, right? And that's on the high side and the low side, right? So it's low, it can go as low as 20 bucks, you know, for like a, well, a broom or, you know, it could be some Windex and some other items, right? Just to qualify for free shipping, or it could be as high as, you know, $500, $600 for everyday, um, you know, retail clothing, right? Um, so it, it's, I don't think we can really stop it. Um, I think that what the consumer needs is a solution that helps them uh, recover um, a part of all of their loss or all of their losses that they experience um, from this type of theft. Just like you know, saying we can stop forced theft, like saying we can stop, you know, um, individuals from, you know, stealing things out of department stores or or any type of theft for that matter. And it's just it's just human nature that you know there's good and there's bad. And I think we're going to have um, you know or anything else in between. You know, there's there's insurance. Right. We can't stop all auto thefts. We can't stop auto accidents. We can't stop, you know, um, uh, you know, property damage. It, it just happens. It's, it's part of life. And 
I feel like where we sit in the stack, the value stack is that, you know, while we can't stop individuals from stealing packages off your porch, um, we hope to provide a solution that, that will at least allow you to recover um, uh, the things that was the, the value of the, of the theft, right? And, uh, and to help you, uh, you know, through that, through that journey and process to make it a lot easier for you to recover your, your dollars lost. Yeah, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess that's exactly why we're here talking about Porch Pals. Um, so that's great. And I know that you just launched in California. So my last question is just kind of what are your future plans and, you know, what do you hope to accomplish in 2023 with the platform? Yeah, so um, you know, we did launch in California. It was really for just a, uh, a internal beta, te beta test for us. We didn't cover all property types. Um, but, uh, you know, we did launch in California, and that's only for a 60 to 90 day period that we go national. Um, and and uh, it's it's been it's been great so far. Um, um, and I, I think that you know once we do cover all property types and we go national, um, it will get you know ten times better, right? Um, but but what we're seeing here um, is that we're seeing you know, great traction. Um, and and uh, you know it's the consumers responding well to our MVP. Um, for future plans, we hope to come to 2023. Um, we really just, you know, internally our KPI is really just to, um, to um, you know, to cover or a hundred thousand members first year. Um, we may very well exceed that. Um, it looks like we're probably going to be on track to exceed that. But you know, just to take care of our members, uh, of course, our members. That is the biggest thing for me to provide a service, customer service, uh, quick resolution to the claims. That they that they uh, provide to us, and then hopefully uh, share relevant information on the platform that we continue to communicate with our members and provide more needs and services that they may need in the future. Um, but honest, honestly, if it's one member or or a million, um, you know, my sole focus right now is to make sure that we take care of our members. You know, no matter what. Right. Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like you have an exciting year ahead. So I've enjoyed talking to you and learning about yeah. Pals. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks so much to David and James for taking the time to speak with me. And thanks to all of you for listening. Once again, my name is Elizabeth Blossfield, and I'm the host of the Insuring Cyber Podcast, a bi-monthly look into how the world of cyber and the business of insurance are connected. Be sure to check back for new episodes publishing every other Wednesday on Insurance Journal TV and Apple Podcasts. Talk to you next time.